visit poker. Um, I'm pleased to see some of you who were here last time, and I hope you all enjoyed our first conversation. Um, tonight we have as a guest rabbi Douglas Cohen from the Chicago Medical Council, uh, who's one of their myriad tasks is the uh, certification of food to be kosher. Uh, he knows far more about it than I do. So it's with uh, great pleasure that I welcome you to uh, Temple Bethel. Thank you. And I'll invite Rabbi Cohn to uh, share uh, some uh, information with us. And then if we can, toward the end, can we uh, ask questions? 100%. 100%. 100%. There's water for you. I, I don't know if any of you ever speak. Is that too loud? Okay. No, no. And if you... Uh, that's okay. Do you want me to stand down there? If you want to, we can just take off the wireless. You can use that. I have to just tell you that it's no fun to just stand up here and talk and talk and talk. So everyone should feel free to have some questions and make it a little more exciting. Okay, I am, as, as was mentioned, I'm Rabbi David Kong. Um, I once uh, took a course, and when, at this course they said they wanted each person to introduce themselves. And they said, when you introduce yourself, give us some way to help us remember who you are. Each person had that job. So when I got up there, this was some time ago, I said, you know, my name is, my name is David Cohn. Um, in that audience, I said, my name is David Cohn. I said, and if you want to help remember it, when you look at me, it makes you think of the picture for the Yankees, uh, David Cohn. At that time, he was a picture for the Yankees. And they all looked at me and they said, he doesn't want a thing like the picture from the Yankees. I said, exactly, that's how you're going to remember my name, because the last thing you thought of was that that's what he looks like. So that's why I'm as Liz mentioned, I work for the CRC, Chicago Rabbinical Council. Um, we grant certification to um, local establishments like restaurants, caterers, pizza shops, and um, hundreds of industrial uh, manufacturing facilities. Um, and I'm here to talk to you a little bit about kosher. Um, I'm going to start by mentioning that uh, I know that I'm the second, so I don't know what happened last week. So if I say something that you've heard already, you, you just tell me about that and I'll move on. The... Um, when the Torah tells us that we need to do different mitzvahs, um, it doesn't always tell us why we're supposed to do that. Um, and in the midst of eating kosher, the Torah tells us something. It, it can't say that that's, that's the reason for the mitzvah, but the Torah tells us something about why we eat kosher. And the Torah says that a person who eats kosher, it, it creates a kedusha, a holiness in the person. Okay. So before I see what I think that means, is, does anybody here have a thought? What, what does that mean that it makes you a holy person? that you eat kosher food. Well, what does it mean to be holy altogether? Forget about for kosher food. Separate? Okay, that's a, that's a good start. Anybody else? Well, what comes to mind when you think of someone who's holy? Well, what, is, what does holiness mean to people? So, holy, if we had to use one word, we might use separate. We might use that word and say separate. But really what it means is that it's someone who's always thinking of what their purpose is. A person who's on their mind, they, they take life, life seriously. And they separate themselves from certain things that everybody else would have falls into because they have, they're putting a little more thought into their life. They want to, to do a, have a more meaningful life. The Torah tells us that we eat so much, we spend so much of our time and so much of our energy in eating, we, have to, we need to, of course, to function, that God wants us to always be, when we eat something, we say, wait a second, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? what I'm not supposed to be doing. So, the exact reasons for each kind of why food is or is not kosher is not 
we're not going to talk about that. I don't, I don't know the reason why this food is kosher or is not. But, Karnasangas, when you're about to eat food, you're about to sit down and say, hmm, should I eat this or should I not eat this? The fact that you have to pause for a second and say, is, should I eat it? means a person who's thinking, a person who's wondering, is this what's good for me? Is this what's going to make me into a better person? And that in itself makes a person holy. A person spends his life thinking, before I do something, is it right or is it wrong? The way I work in business, the way I deal with the person next to me, the way I do anything that I do, it's a person who's thinking, has those things on their mind. And of course, um, we take those orders that come from God. And the way I think of it is, um, is anybody here a mechanic? Okay, no one's a mechanic. Good. Is there someone here a mechanic? Okay, well, when a mechanic, you a mechanic. Okay, when you buy a car and you open up the instruction manual, they say, you know, this car, you should use 5W30 oil. Okay, does anybody here have any idea what 5W30 means instead of 10W40? I don't have a clue what it means. But guess what? Well, get, well, the instruction says, for this car you use 5W30. It means this, if you were ever changing your oil, that's what you would use. You don't know what it means. You don't understand why. There's all different types of oil. And I don't know what all, that, all those numbers mean, but it means something. So that's how we take kosher law. Also, uh, we were created with a soul. We were created with some sense of spirituality, and God says, that's what's good for your soul, so it's good for you to eat that food. Whether we do or don't understand that that's what we do. So, what is the mixed food kosher? What is it, you've heard last week, I'm sure someone told you, what is it that makes food kosher or not kosher? Anybody? Me, okay, <laughs> that's true. I tell you that it's kosher, okay. But what am I supposed to do? So, so, I mean, the truth is, that when you go to many companies and um, you tell them that that food being kosher, they're convinced that that means that the rabbi comes in and gives a blessing. And if the rabbi, excuse me, offers a blessing on the food, it becomes kosher, um, which is not true. Um, actually, I just heard a story. Um, a company that makes, I forgot what they make, but they said that 15 years ago, a rabbi came up and visited the factory. And in the back of the factory, we had trees growing. And there's a, there's a special blessing recited uh, when trees start to blossom. In the springtime, there's a blessing that's recited. The rabbi saw these fruit trees blossom, and he made a ble- the blessing. He said, well, I can make a blessing on your trees, because they're starting to blossom. It's a special blessing once a year to make this blessing. And he says to me, he says, it was 15 years ago. We had our best year that year. We never had as much fruit as the year that rabbi came in, and I think, he says it's the greatest thing. It was a CRC rabbi. We loved the CRC because of that. You know? Anyhow, but we don't want food to make it kosher. So... I'm going to mention the three of the main things that would make food kosher, or basically would make food not kosher. Basically, everything is kosher unless there's something wrong with it, unless it's not kosher. I'm going to mention um, three of the things, the three main things. There are other things as well, but the three main things that would make, the three main categories of foods that are not kosher. And they are, and we'll talk each, each one of them a little bit about them. And then we'll move on to what it means that I give certification, that I say the food is kosher. So, the three types of food that are mainly not kosher are meats, certain kinds of meats. We'll spend a few minutes talking about that. It's not kosher to, milk, to, meat, to mix milk and meat together. Those to be mixed together. That's another part of being not kosher. And the third is bugs. Okay, bugs are not kosher. So, we'll talk about each one of those just for a, few, just for a minute. And then we'll go on to, well, what does it have to do with me, the rabbi, coming in to see the food become kosher? So, in meat... Um, in short, there are, there are five requirements to make meat kosher. Okay. 
Anybody want to guess what those are? Any of the five that in my mind, five requirements to make the food kosher, meat kosher. Chew is good, okay. So the first thing is, actually, I, that, I would group that into one, which is, you have to know it's from a kosher species. It chooses cut, it has split those. That makes it a kosher species. Um, the most common not kosher meat that we see in the street is pork. Pork um, has split those, but doesn't chew its cut. So pork is not kosher. Okay, and there are certain fish that are not kosher also, but when we talk about meat, it has to chew its cut. It has to be the right, an animal that is from a kosher species. That's, that's number one. That's correct. That's the first requirement to make it kosher. But for that, I'm not going to buy beef. You know, I'm going to buy beef. Well, beef comes from a cow. Cows are kosher. So there are, four, there are four other requirements to make the meat kosher. Go ahead. The, you both say that together. The way it's slaughtered. That's great. So when we, we do shrita, the way the animal is slaughtered, um, so with a super sharp and um, clean knife that has no marks in it, um, it's a very quick and painless process. Um, and it kills the animal in a very specific way uh, that has to be shrita. Good. That's the second step. Okay. But now, there's another step that goes right before shrita that maybe people are not familiar with. And that is, um, only allowed to eat animals as kosher if those animals are healthy. Animals that are trafers, animals that have certain kinds of defects to them that mean they're not going to live long, we're not allowed to eat those kinds of animals. So an animal is checked before and after the slaughter to make sure it's healthy. Beforehand, we check it to make sure it's healthy, that it walks. But an animal that can't walk a couple of steps, there's something wrong with it. So we check that it's healthy beforehand, we check that after it's slaughtered, we check inside on the lungs, there are parts that are checked, parts on, on the legs, the places that are checked to make sure it's, it's, it was a healthy animal. Okay? Two more steps? What do you mean by that? Okay, so what, what he means by that is, that's very good, most people are not familiar with that. And that is that within an animal, when, it, when an animal would be slaughtered in the temple, in the base of Mikdash, there were certain parts of the animal that were brought onto the altar, onto the Mizdeh, to be burnt. Certain fats that were cut off the animal and put onto the Mizdeh. Those fats were not allowed to eat. Okay? Those are ones that are designated for God. Those are the ones that, that, that part of thinking when you eat food is that, you know, this food came from someplace. I got this food from God. Some of it goes to him. So those fats are not allowed to eat. Those fats tend to be in the back of the animal. The back of the animal, there really are kosher parts in the back also, but it's so difficult to do. Basically, just cut the animal down at, in the middle, at the 12th rib. Everything from behind that is sold onto the non-kosher side, and from the front is what we eat from. Excuse me. A certain amount is cut out from the front also, but basically, all those fats that we're not allowed to eat belong in the back of the animal. So we do, it's called nikor, they, they traver, or in, in Yiddish word, they traver the animal, to so remove certain fats, and then we can eat it. Okay, and last? Very good, soaking and salting. One of the things that we're not allowed to eat is blood. Okay, the, the way the Torah says it is, the blood is the life force of the animal. Um, we're entitled to have certain um, rights over animals. We are, we're certain, in a certain sense, we're more important, if you want to say that, than animals are. So we're entitled to eat an animal, but the life force of the animal we're not allowed to eat. If the blood we're not allowed to eat, we get the blood out by soaking and salting the animal. Uh, to remove all the blood. Okay, so that's what it takes to make kosher meat. Um, I was on my way here. I made a stop at the Jewel down the road, about two miles down the street called Columbia. Columbia? Calumet. Calumet. I'm sorry, Calumet. Stopped down there and was happy to see that sitting there, it's 
actually pretty common, even in a smaller Jewish community, that this empire kosher chicken is there. You can go buy kosher chicken right there, right here in the local supermarket. Um, and it's really, you know, when, when I work in kosher certification, and I live in Chicago, there's a, quite a large Jewish community. And most of the people there are, um, have lots of opportunities to get kosher food. It's really pretty easy for us to get kosher food. There's a bigger community. We have more opportunities. But one of the reasons why we certify food as kosher, is, if I have to say this, is not for the people in Chicago. It's not so that if I'm sitting in Chicago, I can have kosher food. Because we're gonna, if there's, there's going to be kosher food any place, it's going to be in Chicago. It's really so that when you go out, I travel for kosher certification, and you travel to the most remote areas where there hasn't been a Jew in 20 years, you walk in the supermarket, there's loads of kosher food. Okay? That, we, we, we appreciate certifying food for these large manufacturers because we know we can walk into supermarkets any place and you can find kosher food. Walk down all the aisles and you can find kosher food. So I'm just happy to see that here. Anyhow, okay, the next is milk and meat. Okay, next, another type of non-kosher is milk, mixing milk and meat. And that's the part of kosher that people very much control in their homes. That's in your house. Of course, you can buy products that have those mixed together, but you very much are controlling that in your house. I'm making sure not to put milk and meat together. And um, I was told that it was mentioned even right last time, but uh, I'll mention it myself, which is when a person um, is thinking of keeping kosher or increasing their sensitivity to keeping kosher, um, the way we do that, any time we want to make ourselves better, uh, we do that one step at a time. If I want to make sure that I'm more patient when I deal with my children, I don't say, I'm never going to raise my voice again to one of my children. If that's not what you say. That, that's obviously ineffective. I need to take steps, small steps towards getting that place. So, for example, there's someone who I know who was beginning to keep a kosher home, and they said is they were ready to keep kosher. I mean, they, they just went up to it at that point, keeping kosher. And they said was, what I'm going to do is, when I bread my chicken, so... The, the, the batter that I've read in, I used to put milk into that batter. I'm not going to put milk into that batter. That's my first step that I'm going to take. No milk in my batter. Or, it's coming up now, it's, it's almost November. When I make my turkey, I'm not going to put butter in the coat. When I glaze my turkey, I'm going to use something else and not use butter. So that's a way. It, it's, we control it in our house, in our own homes. The, the, the milk and meat part of kosher is something we do by ourselves. That's more our control of what we do in our house. And we have more ability to say in that, you know, when I eat a corned beef sandwich, I'm not going to drink milk with that, at that meal. That's not what I'm, I'm not going to do that together. And then, last is, um, for most people, it's more surprising, of course, that bugs are not kosher. Now, most of us think, yeah, big deal, bugs are not kosher. Big deal. I mean, I never, I never had a, you know, this great desire to catch a cockroach and start, you know, frying him, you know? It never occurred to me to eat bugs, big deal. I mean, that doesn't, like, you know, strike me as, hey, Rabbi, now I can do that with you, you know? <laughs> Not eating bugs, that's for me. That's the one I can do. But actually, um, we'll talk about it as we go through. Um, there are two areas where bugs um, come up most in our kitchens. And one of them is, it, again, something we control, and that is in fresh um, fruits and vegetables. We, we buy different fruits and vegetables. Have, some of them have more or less bugs in them. And we need to do things to clean them, to make sure that there's nothing in them, that they're clean. Excuse me. Now, there aren't going to be, none of us are expecting to see a snail inside of our lettuce. I mean, nobody would, we wouldn't buy that. We would never go back into that store again. But there are smaller bugs out there to see. And I'll mention, someone here mentioned um, that they have the CRC's app. Um, the CRC, you mentioned it? The CRC has apps for all the major um, smartphones. Um, we have also quite a presence on our website. And our apps are called CRC Kosher. 
And those apps list many things. We'll mention some other things as we go on, but among them is, if you go to a vegetable, it'll tell you, this is what you need to do to clean the vegetable to make sure it doesn't have bugs in it. This is what you should do to it. You pick, go through a long list, this long list of vegetables and pick the one you want to see what you have to do. So one part is in vegetables that you have in your home. But there's also, there's, there's one bug that seems to find its way into many foods. Um, the bug is called carmine or cochineal. And have every, every, any of you ever heard of that? Okay, well, it's a bug um, that gets, you crush it up and crush thousands and thousands of them to make this color, it's a really great coloring for foods. Um, it tends to be in reds, little oranges and purples also. Uh, and it makes a great color. If you have, you know, have you ever seen um, Listerine comes in all different colors? Okay, well, the orange Listerine has carmine in it. Okay, that's what it's called. The orange color comes from, it's on the back. It's the real ingredients, it's in there. Um, some of you may have heard, I don't know, maybe a year ago, um, Starbucks proudly announced that they were going to be reformulating their strawberry frappuccino, I believe that's the one that was, that it would now have a natural color into it. They were going to take out the artificial colors and put in a natural color. They were very proud of it, that we will now have a natural color to it. Until people found out that the natural color that was going to be in there was going to be these bugs. And people were like, guys, that's not what we wanted. You know, give us the chemicals. That we don't, we don't want bugs in our, in our frappuccino. And they sent you another natural color. They found another natural color and said, they didn't last very long. But there are other people, you know, Tropicana makes a grapefruit, a red grapefruit drink that has the same color into it. Again, so this color finds its way into different places. Um, and, um, that's a kind of thing that's in a packaged food. Sometimes it's listed on the ingredient panel, but not necessarily. Just, you know, color. Color sounds innocent enough, and in fact, it usually is. Okay, so, before I move on, I was about to ask a question. I was, before I move on, yes. Excuse me? Uh, it's spelled cochineal, C-O-C-H-I-N-E-A-L, maybe? You know, you know, when I grew up, I had to know how to spell. But now that I use a computer, I don't have to spell anymore. So, I'm not so great at that anymore, you know? So, my kids are like, like, why they teach us spelling? My computer knows how to spell. Like, what do you want from my life, you know? So, anyhow. But I think that's how the C-O-C-H-I-N. I think that's um, Okay. Any other questions before I move to the next section? Okay. So, talk a little bit about what makes food, so to speak, not kosher. Okay, so, um, a little bit you could guess than what I do. Um, so, in, in making meat kosher and fish kosher, it's pretty, you could guess what I'm doing, is that there's a lot of oversight to make sure all these things happen to make sure they're kosher, you know? Okay, now that I told you that there are bugs in vegetables, so then in the vegetable company, you know, you can buy big salads that have a certification on them. They're making sure that they're clean and they don't have bugs in them. But, what else goes on? What, what else do we do when I make, when I tell you that a can of baked beans is kosher? Well, what, was wrong, what could be wrong with the baked beans or whatever, some other food? What goes on? So I'm gonna, I want to talk to you a little bit about what we do, so you can understand it. Um, and while I talk, at the, while I'm talking, there are two parts. One is to explain to you what it takes to make that food kosher, and the other is to help you understand um, there are many different kosher certifications out there, okay? Hundreds and hundreds of them, okay? The truth is, anybody who wants to could start a kosher certification. We don't have a Jewish pope who says, this is what you have to do. No, you can, anybody who wants to, you want to open up Munster Kosher and call it the NK with a little squiggly line on top of it and say, this is Munster Kosher, go for it. You can, anybody can do that. You don't even have to be Jewish. You know, anybody can do that. They're, they're, it's a free country. We'll all do whatever we want to. So 
anybody can start up their own kosher program. So, a little bit what we're going to be talking about is what differentiates between a kosher certification that's reliable and one that's not. So it sort of goes hand in hand with, well, what does it take to make different kosher? Will help us understand what it, well, what does it, what does that mean that someone's not doing such a great job? Um, to help you with that, for those of you who have our app, our app has on it many, many symbols of kosher that are, cert- that are acceptable, that we consider to be reputable. Loads of them. Because other people who are sincere and do a good job, um, you can see those. For those of you who are not like that, um, I've worked cards that we give out to people. People stick in their wallet. It's for um, when you stand in standing in the supermarket. Um, these are symbols that we consider to be um, reputable and acceptable on products that they that they certify. And the the truth is, sometimes when companies say to us, you know, um, what is it? How complicated is it for us to become kosher? So sometimes we get people on exercise. We say to them, you know, Howie, you know, you don't keep kosher and you've never met anybody who keeps kosher. But we say, take a card like this and go into your house. And the truth is, just look at this top line. You know, these are, these are the really biggest certifications. You see us, of course. We're proud of ourselves. Um, OU and Circle K and Cuff K. These are the big ones that you see on a lot of products. And we say to them, go home and open up your pantry. Open up your pantry and look around see how many foods in your pantry are kosher. And you're going to find out that in the United States, kosher food is really, really easily available. If you walk in, I did not look into the snack aisle, but if you walk into Jewel and you, you walk down the aisle of chips or whatever the snack appeals to you, you're going to find there's going to be ten different brands, of which, I don't know, three of them are going to be kosher. So, for we, we ask people to do this when they go home, when they're thinking about making their company's kosher. Just they should realize how easy it is to get kosher ingredients that they're going to need. But for people who keep kosher, it's the same thing. If you walk into the supermarket and there's crackers and crackers, well, you know, one brand has a nicer label and one brand costs it a, a few cents less. But between them, you're going to find one that's kosher. So it's something to think about. Um, in, in America, from that side, they're on packaged goods. Um, it's really, in, in a sense, we have it very easy if we want to keep kosher. We really, we walk out there, and we look in the supermarket, and with a little practice, you'll find out where they keep their symbols, and with a little card that tells you, well, which of those symbols mean anything, you know, which one of those do we consider reputable, um, you will find lots of food that's kosher. Um, yes? What, you may say this later, and please refer to, to later if you so wish, what determines what of these is considered reliable? Uh, in terms of, you know, your own standards and standards of others that one could say this is reputable and that product is indeed kosher because sometimes what's not on here is just a package of CK. Right. So what differentiates that from CRC? Okay, good. That's a good question. I'm actually, I'm, I'm going to talk about the, the main part of your question. On, that's what I'm going to be talking about. Okay. But I'm going to mention just the one thing you said, which is about a package that has a K on it. means, what K means is the person who manufactures that food wants you to believe the food is kosher. It does not necessarily mean that there's even anybody who stands behind it. The letter K is can't be copyrighted, and anybody can put a K onto their package. You can't put the MK with the squiggle on top on your package. You know, once you people here uh, uh, copyright that symbol, nobody else could use that. But if I want to just put a K on it, that, that anybody can do. So, the symbol K on it, sometimes it means something. 
like on, on Kellogg's cereals. You may have seen on Kellogg's, I'm talking about breakfast cereals, have all of them, 90% of them, next to the big styled K on the front, there's a little K or a KD. Okay, and that stands for either kosher or kosher dairy. And in fact, there is a reputable uh, certification that stands behind that. The company chooses to just put a K or KD to indicate it's kosher or kosher dairy. But other companies put a K and it doesn't mean anything. Other people come to just, that means that we want you to believe that it's kosher. I mean, that's what it means. But, excuse me, it may not mean anybody stands behind it. Um, so, what, that's a little bit of a different question than what happens if there's a not reputable certification. How will I judge whether that, that symbol that I see means something or doesn't mean something? Okay, the K may mean really nothing. That's the truth. You got to guess. But, but yes, go ahead. Hundred percent, right? So we we recommend people. Obviously, we like ourselves. So you can tell you to call us or look from our app. You can send questions from our app or email us info at seriousweb.org. No, you can contact us and we'll answer that question. Um, actually, the cereals are on the app. It says if they're kosher or not. You know, the kosher cereals are listed on our app. But if you have to see something else, you pick up a bottle of I don't know a can of potatoes, again, you know, a jar of canned potatoes, and there's a can next to it. Well, is it kosher? Does that mean anything? And if you call us, assuming we know the answer, we'll try to help you. We try to be helpful. Um, I have to tell you that the CRC um, is not just a kosher certifying agency. Um, the CRC really is a rabbinic group. It's the rabbis of Chicago said we they wanted a body that would do things, rabbinic kind of things. So one of the main things that people know us for is our kosher certification, but really that's not where we come from. Really our, our history is an organization that's there for the rabbis to help the community. And from that side comes the fact that Consumers who call, we feel that's our job, is to answer consumer questions. Um, it's very much our job as opposed to, we just certify companies. Our, very much our job to help consumers. Okay. okay. So, um, when, when you want to certify food, um, I wish I had a package of food here. You pick up a package of food, you look on the ingredient panel, and you read over the ingredients, and um, a first, the first assumption is, and actually that's what used to be when I was younger, maybe some of you as well. People who wanted to keep kosher read the ingredients, and they looked at the ingredients, and this was the rule. This is this is the rule that used to be. Okay? If it doesn't say lard, you're okay, and you're safe. And the second rule was, if you were a little bit more strict, was the rule was, if you can't pronounce it, then it's kosher. Okay, anything with a really low, like you know, four syllables, it's kosher. Okay, I doubt what do you think? They don't make pigs out of little long letters like that. That's not what. No, 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 it can't be. It's kosher. Okay, so you had to look for. If you were, everybody was cut lard and it had really big letters, then for sure you were safe. But, um, so let's talk a little bit about that. And that is, um, there are items that go into food that are not listed on the ingredient panel. Okay. A great example of that is, um, when you make um, maple syrup. Okay. Maple syrup is, is like the most natural of things. They tap a tree, and out comes, this syrup comes out of the side of a tree. Okay. It, it's sort of like as right from the ground as it can be. Well. When they cook up the maple syrup, you need to cook it up. What happens is, um, it foams up. As you cook it, a lot of foam builds up in the pot. We'll be using a big pot, but there's a lot of foam building up. So, what do you, it's just not workable in the factory to have all this foam, or in the farm, to have all this foam building up. What do they do to keep the foam from building up? Okay. 
The classic way to do it is, they took a piece of animal fat, okay, and they hung it above the pot. And what would happen is, as the pot heated up, it would melt some of the animal fat. As it got hotter, it would melt some, a piece of fat would drop in. Fat is a great anti-foam, it disperses foam, it would drop and disperse the foam. As, the pot, as, so as you kept on cooking, the more you cooked, the more anti-foam you got. As soon as you stopped cooking, it, it solidified back again, it was ready, waiting for the next pot to come in. Now, they don't list that. That doesn't have to be listed on the ingredient panel if you have um, anti-foam in there. Anti-foam is it's called, it's called a processing agent. It's just part of making the food. It's not an ingredient in the food. You don't have to list that there. Okay? So, if we keep kosher, we, we all don't want... There's lots of other people, besides keeping kosher, who don't want animal fat in their maple syrup. Um, but that's an example of that. Um, as the chaplain mentioned, I, I forgot your name. I'm terrible with Aaron. Aaron? Terry. He mentioned that there are lots of people who keep kosher... I'm sorry. There are lots of people who buy food with a kosher symbol, even though they're not Jewish, and they don't keep kosher. And that is to say, as he mentioned, that in the prison in, in his prison that he takes care of, um, one of the people who eats kosher is a Muslim. And he does it because he believes that kosher certification covers what his requirements are also. He has his own religious reasons why he wants to eat certain kind of food, and he believes kosher covers that. There's lots of other people. So when I mentioned that, that there are people who don't want animal products, and they'll buy kosher power products because they know that the kosher maple syrup doesn't have any animal fat. Okay, so they buy for other reasons. So the truth is, I, I know this may sound a little strange, but most of the people who buy food with a kosher symbol are not buying it because they're Jewish. Not buying it because they want to keep kosher. They're buying it for some other reason, like they're Muslim, or they don't want dairy, or they don't want meat, or they, whatever, some other reason why they're picking that food, uh, but not specifically because they're Jewish and want to keep kosher. Okay. The, the, the government has a interesting way of classifying butter. Um, butter is graded as double A is the best butter, and A is, grade A is the next best, it's pretty good, and then grade B, which is not so great, and then I guess there, there may be even grades that are lower than that. But interestingly, surprisingly, the grading system is counterintuitive. The grading system is not how we would guess you would grade the butter. We would all think, excuse me, that the best butter is double A, and the worst butter is grade B. Well, it's not exactly like that. What it is, is the butter that has the most bland taste to it is double A. And the butter that has the most buttery taste to it, that's the lowest grade. Okay, and now, I, I, the people who made this up were not, didn't lose their minds. The reason why they make that is because the most, the best tasting, the, the blandest butter comes from the purest butter fat. And the stuff that tastes the but most buttery comes from the lowest quality butter fat. Does that make sense? Well, it's really strange. I mean, so the best tasting stuff is the lowest grade, and the worst tasting stuff is the highest grade. It's a little strange. Uh, but it is what it is. Well, what do you do when you want your butter that's grade double A? Now you want to make it taste a little bit better. So they pre-digest the butter. Okay, they, they start to break down the fat that's in the butter. And the way they do that is, um, there's something called lipase. Anyone heard that term before? Lipase? Lipase is um, an enzyme that's extracted from the throats of animals. And that enzyme, you can imagine, that an enzyme that's in the throat of an animal helps in digestion. Well, they extract, they take that enzyme out, 
put it into the butter, and it helps digest the butter a little also to make it taste more buttery. Okay, well, they don't do that in kosher butter. Okay, that's, that's very not kosher. Um, the animal's throat is not kosher, and milk and meat is not kosher, so that's very not kosher. But as I was mentioning, that's not something you're going to see when you read an ingredient panel. Lastly, if I go to the store and I buy vegetable oil, then um, it says it's 100% pure vegetable oil, then I have all the right to believe that that's what it is. I'm buying the vegetable oil that it says what, what I'm buying. In fact, companies are allowed to put in a little bit of what they call rework. Rework means is if something doesn't go right in the manufacturing, excuse me, if something doesn't go right in the manufacturing, let's say the labels go on upside down onto the bottles. Or let's say um, the temperature wasn't exactly right. Or what if something doesn't go right, so they take the stuff and they reprocess it, they do it again. So you're allowed to put a little bit of certain amount of rework back into your food. That means is to say is if this factory is making kosher oil, animal, uh, corn oil and animal fat in the same factory, which happens, then rework from that side of the factory to end up in this side of the factory, and that's legal. Up to a certain amount, that's legal to do. So now, I told you a couple of things that you you wouldn't see them on an ingredient panel. But also, I was before I came here, I visited a flavor company. Um, anybody have an idea what goes on in flavor companies? What, what do you think they do in flavor companies? If somebody wants to make, let's say, uh, strawberry flavor. So what do you think they do in a, in, a, in a flavor company? Right, well, they do you can, most people, okay, this is an intelligent person here, most people, most people think that of course they use some kind of chemicals, but they start with strawberries, or they work something with strawberries. And the answer is, as we've been saying here, Lohaya below Nibra. It never happened. It has nothing to do with a strawberry. It never, ever, ever saw a strawberry. It has nothing to do with anything. It had, it, if you walk, I'm in the factory, they have hundreds of chemicals, okay? Stuff that, if we, if we saw it, we would think it would be used for cleaning floors. Okay, that's what it would look like to us, you know, that's what, we should know these long names, all those stuff I told you you can't pronounce, that's what's there. And they got a bunch of guys mixing a little of this, a little of that, and ta-ta comes out tasting like strawberries. Um, so that can contain, what, what says on the package, flavor, even natural flavors, can contain anything. That's what it is. Literally, it can contain anything because anything that's, they don't tell you what's in the flavor, that's proprietary, what's in the flavor, so um, they can put anything they want to into that. Some of, some of the worst offenders in the flavor companies are these two flavors. Okay, I, I, I won't... I hope everybody eats it. I won't really ruin it for you. And two animal products, one called civet and Castorian. They come from animals. Uh, you really don't want to know which part of the animals they come from. Um, and they're very not kosher. It's from a beaver and a cat. Okay, they're, they're not kosher. Okay, it's by, by no means is that kosher. Um, and, and they're very natural. They're natural. Beavers are natural. Yeah, that's considered natural. That's, that's good. That's, you can eat that. I mean, you can't eat it kosher, but I mean, that's considered natural and wonderful. Okay, so, from this perspective, I'll, I'll mention that what I've said to you so far is that in granting certification, certification doesn't just mean a rabbi stands there to make sure they're not milk, mixing any milk and meat together. That's not, that's not my job, really. Really, Giving cert kosher certification means really understanding what's going on in a company. I need to understand the processes. I need to understand the ingredients. I need to understand the science behind what's going on in this factory. 
Because only when I understand that can I then say is, I know what's going into this product, I know how it's made, I know the equipment it's made on, I know what the processes are, and now I can help understand whether it is or is not kosher. Okay. When, when you have a long name that, that goes this long of a, of a name of a food, well, is it kosher or is it not kosher? Has anybody know? So that's what we do. If you look on our app, when you look there on, on the app, you'll see um, consumer-type foods. Foods that you would walk into a store and you'd say, hmm, do raisins need kosher certification? So you'll type in raisins and you'll see what comes up, whether raisins do or don't need certification. Well, how did we come up with that? How do we know whether raisins do or don't need certification? Well, raisins are also, again, pretty simple. You know what raisins are. They take, if you've ever been to California, they take the grapes off the vine, lay them down on the floor, come back a couple days later, and they're raisins. Seems, it seems straightforward enough, and it's really, it's really pretty, oh, and they have a matter, I'm sorry, I don't want to, it, it, they lay down for it, and they, they come back a couple days later, and they have raisins. Okay, well, that's, that's wonderful, but only someone who understands the process will know that when you put thousands of raisins into big containers, they put an oil onto it to keep the raisins from sticking to each other. Okay, well, if you knew that much, you might also know is really one big manufacturer of that oil. There's a specific oil that just everybody uses in the United States. There's a one main manufacturer who does it who happens to be kosher. So if you look on our app, I haven't checked. I hope it says what I'm about to tell you. Uh, that raisins that you buy in the United States don't need certification. But what went into that answer was, well, what does it take to make raisins? Well, there was a, a couple of years ago, there was a whole to-do. There's a, there's a fly that lays eggs on those grapes as they're laying on the floor, a drosophila. It lays eggs in the raisins, and people are finding bugs in their raisins. Well, is that an issue or is that not an issue? Well, so our answer of raisins don't need certification includes understanding of that issue also. How common or how likely is it that you're actually going to find insects inside of your raisin? I told you, insects are not kosher. And neither is the oil that would be sprayed on top of it if that wasn't kosher. So... We give answers to consumers on those levels, but there's a lot that goes into being able to know whether the food is kosher. Um, we, we just had, is today Wednesday? Today's Wednesday. Yes, Monday, uh, company, some of our rabbis went to visit a company that produces some alcoholic beverages um, to see whether they could supply a different CRC company. This company doesn't itself want to be kosher, but they want to supply it to somebody else. And the rabbi who we sent here to do it is a rabbi who's very familiar with the that industry, with the uh, alcoholic beverage industry, who's very familiar, and you can't pull anything over on him. When he walks in, the, he, knows, he knows what's going on. And he, you, you, he knows where to look things and what questions to ask and how to decide whether the food is or is not kosher. Okay? There, there's, and there's quite a number of questions to it. Together with him, one of our other rabbis went along for training. One of our other rabbis went along who's not so familiar with that to say, I want to learn more about this so that I can do a job better, and maybe next time I'll be the one who's appropriate to send for that. So, all, all that kind of work goes into running a reputable kosher organization. Of course, of course, there are standards. There are standards to what makes food kosher and not kosher. But the truth is, more than the standard of do we agree on what makes something kosher is the expertise and the experience to be able to do that. I'm going to give you an example. Um, a company uh, applied for kosher certification and what they made was they made um, fried eggs. Okay, they, they took eggs, they cooked them, and they sold them frozen. And when they applied for kosher certification, they said, oh, we're already kosher. And we want to use 
a different, we want to use a new certification, so we want to apply to use. Okay, so they're already kosher. They told us the name of the person who certifies them, and we, we were very disappointed, because from experience, we knew that this person is really not on top of what he does, but we didn't know it as bad until somebody walked in. It wasn't me. So somebody walked into the factory. This company makes, as I mentioned to you, they make um, fried eggs. They also make ham and eggs. They make two different products. Well, forget about it. There wasn't anybody who had any idea whether they were cleaning up the equipment between them. You know, if I want kosher eggs, or egg is an egg, but I don't want ham in my eggs. But whether there was cleaning, no one had any idea. But what was the strangest was that as the boxes, the, the eggs were put into the boxes and came off, all the boxes had a kosher symbol on them. And it was up to the person at the end of the line, if he quick enough got his marker to scrape off the symbol. That was the system. If he comes by, if he's born, ham and eggs today, we it off. Regular eggs, let it go by. So I was like, this is not a way to run operation. I mean, come on, who are you, who are you kidding over here? I mean, we, everybody knows that ham is not kosher. But this is not like a joke. Everybody knows that that's not kosher. No, no question of standards. Everybody knows that. But the rabbi has no control. I, I walked into a factory, factory once. It was under someone else's certification. And the question was, should we accept that person's certification? It was a little questionable. We came to see it. And as we walk in, we're walking through, and there were dozens of tanks, dozens of tanks. And it's me, and the other rabbi, and someone from the plant. And we come to a, we come to a tank, and the plant person says to me, so Rabbi Cohn, this is where we keep the kosher, whatever that we make. And the rabbi who certifies that says, no, it's not there. We keep the kosher over here. He goes, no, 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 no. That's the not kosher. This is where we keep the kosher. And I'm, and I'm like, hmm. Yeah. Seems like the guy real on top of his, the work over here. They really got their, their act together over here. Like, you know, as you can imagine, we weren't too thrilled. Um, we went to a different company where this company processed um, oils and fats. Coconut oil and animal fat. Coconut oil and animal fat have very similar properties. Okay, they get processed very, in a very similar manner. And this company was basically not kosher. They wanted to switch over and have one part of the plant should be kosher. Okay. There was one problem in this company. That is, it was a very large plant. And in this company, they had maybe, I'll say, 30 tanks. And this company's style, that was the problem, the style in this company was, anytime somebody thought, you know, Maybe one day we'll have to bring product from tank 14 to tank 27. So they would run along from 14 to 27. The next day, you know what? I think once we're going to need to go from 27 to just 26. We're going to have to go another line this way. So there were, there were pipes go every direction. Every, every tank was connected to the next one. So we said, if you want to have a kosher product, we have to see if that tank is not connected to anything. We don't want anything mixed into that. That's to be all kosher. The company spent probably a month, plotting it out and making sure that this tank had nothing there. It had no connections, only straight from the kosher to the kosher. There were no breaks in between. We came afterwards. They were all prepared. They knew we were coming. We spent a day and a half, a day and a half, following the pipes in this company. That's how complicated it was. And they still missed things. Okay? Well, we, in our day and a half, still caught things that they had missed. So it takes a lot of work, a lot of expertise. Um, there's really a lot goes into making sure that the food is kosher. The people who are buying kosher food, if I go into the store and I saw Empire Kosher chickens over here, well, I'm paying extra and I'm limiting my choices because I want to eat kosher. 
Okay, so if I'm doing that, well, then I want to be get something that's really kosher. I'm making my effort to do that. I'm willing to pay it a little bit more. I'm willing to say, hey, I'm only going to get this and not that because I want to eat the kosher food. Well, then I want you to be giving me what I want. I paid for that. I'm asking for kosher food. I deserve to get what, I'm, what I want. And a person who's not careful or doesn't know enough or is completely just out to lunch, he, he's cheating me. That person is telling people that the food is kosher. The company is saying, oh, Rabbi, if you tell us it's kosher, what do they know? The rabbi says it's kosher, it's kosher. And me as the consumer, um, I'm being misled. So we try to do a good job. We try to, we think that we do a good job. Um, the, the, we work with the other major agencies in the United States, and everybody keeps each other on their toes. We learn from each other, um, and we share with each other. We're going to be going to a conference in about two weeks of all the major, about 70, 80 major kosher agencies in the United States to share information with each other. Um, and we believe we do a good job. Um, we try to share that information. I mentioned our apps and etc. our cards, here like that. Um, and we hope we do. Um, but of course, of course, I encourage you to keep kosher. But more than that is, when you, when you look to keep kosher, um, you need to be educated. You need to understand and say, you know, being kosher takes some effort to make sure the food is really kosher and that you do it right. Okay, anybody have any questions? Yes? Mm-hmm. Okay, so kosher style, um, in many states, including Illinois, uh, in many states it's illegal to call food kosher if it's not really kosher. Now, that doesn't mean that it has to be, you know, kosher that Rabbi Cohen thinks is kosher. It has to be some standard of kosher. If a person calls something kosher style, then that doesn't mean anything. Kosher style means um, I feel Jewish when I eat this food. Yeah, it does, doesn't mean anything. You know, Jewish food, um, I know someone who's involved with um, different kind of Jewish organizations, and they say, well, when we have uh, get-together, we always serve bagel and cream cheese, because that's Jewish food. So, okay, that's true. Lots of people think of bagels and lots and cream cheese as kosher food, but that doesn't mean it's kosher. Just because they, they call it, you know, because it's kosher style, it, it makes you feel like it's kosher food, but it doesn't mean very much to it. Um, it's unfortunate, you know. Again, if if you just want a food that seems kosher, then that's okay. If I really want kosher, then that's, I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I came here for a reason. I came because I wanted kosher food. I didn't get what I wanted. If, imagine if I wanted to be vegetarian. Imagine if I wanted food that had no animal products in it. So that was important to me that I have vegetarian. And in your restaurant, you, you served me um, French fries with animal fat. I said, Hey, I came here. I came here for vegetarian. I don't, you said, well, no, no, the potatoes are, are vegetarian. I said, yeah, the potatoes are vegetarian. But you cooked them in animal fat. So you didn't give me what I wanted either. I, I came here with a certain, I think that something's important to me. And that's what you should be giving to me. Yes? Um, you, what's the view on uh, hormones, antibiotics, and genetically Okay, that's a very good question. We get that question very often. The very common question. And that is, that is what do the rabbis say about does food become kosher if we take tomatoes and we put into them a gene from, a, I don't know what, a shark. And we put genes into them to make the, the tomato tougher, okay, or to do something, or, I don't know what. We genetically modify corn so that it can't be attacked by who knows what. Um, is that make the food not kosher? Um, so there, there are two parts to that answer. There are two parts to the answer. One is, as far, 
food which is not healthy or not safe is inherently not kosher. We're not allowed to eat foods, not just if, if the animal wasn't slaughtered, etc. A food that's not healthy or safe, we're not allowed to eat either. But from that perspective, so there are people who claim that lots of these modified foods are not healthy. People who believe that those foods are not healthy. In that respect, we don't consider ourselves to be the experts on that. Um, we leave that we, we leave that to the people who claim to be the experts. Excuse me, the government regulators. And if they consider the food to be healthy, if they consider it to have been safe, then whether that's the truth or not the truth, I don't know. But we leave that up to their judgment. So, so I say that in this case, I'm saying it because we're not making a decision. But sometimes the other way also. If you said to me, um, I make, I'm going to make um, challah every Friday, and every Thursday I'm going to bake challahs in my house, and I'm going to sell them to the community as kosher. I want to sell, people want challah for Shabbos, I'm going to bake challahs in my house, <coughs> and I want to sell them as kosher. Would you certify those challahs as kosher? We, we get this question pretty often. Would you certify them as kosher? And the answer to that question is no, we wouldn't. Even if you keep kosher, and even if you're a reputable person, we wouldn't do it. And the reason is because until the local board of health verifies that your house is suitable to serve food to the neighborhood, then we're not ready to step in there and say the food is kosher. They have to take responsibility. If they're willing to, if they're willing to say that your house is good for the public, that's fine, but they're not going to. You know, there's all kinds of codes and rules. Okay. So, so one half of the question is, is the genetically modified food, is the enzyme, all these kind of unusual things happen, is it safe and healthy? We, we consider ourselves not experts on that, and we leave that to the government to decide. But then there's a different question, which is, okay, it's healthy and safe, but it's got shark in there. And some, they pull that some, some chromosome from who knows where, from some animal, and they breed, breed it into it. So for that, we say, we don't consider that to be an issue, for the following reason. Um, the, the way we view this is as follows. Torah was given to individuals, to humans, to deal with it on the human level that we see. So, the same way, when I check, I mentioned that there are bugs and vegetables. Well, there are, there are microbes every place, right? There are microbes all over the place. If I open this water bottle, I'm going to be drinking microbes. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things here. But those bugs are not forbidden because no one can see them. Now, scientists can see them. We pull up, uh, you know, put into a layer, we can find them in there. But from, on, on a human level, we don't see any bugs in there. Therefore, we don't concern ourselves. And the same thing is with the genetically modified foods. What's going on is on, on very, you know, microscopic levels, beyond what, what a typical person sees, um, and we don't consider that to have an effect on the food. Did I answer your question? Yes. Um, one question I had, I just talk a little about hormones or, you know, animals. Mm-hmm. Okay, so hormones... Okay, so I guess, uh, two parts to that. What you feed to an animal doesn't affect its kosher status inherently. I mean, if you would feed it, if the animal would sit and eat non-kosher, it wouldn't make a difference. As far as the health of it, I'll go back to the first thing I said. From the health of it, if the government thinks that that's safe, they think it's safe. And, and really what happens is, with a lot of these things, it is very much consumer-driven. What I mean by that is, is that the government says, let's say that it's safe to give hormones to the cows. Let's say that. And you think, my gosh, I don't want to eat that stuff. I don't want to eat that. Then you're going to pick a brand that doesn't do that. You're going to pick a brand, and the consumers will drive the market to say, everyone's going to pick this brand of chicken instead of that brand of chicken because they don't feed home, they don't give them home to it. So it's, uh, that's how we see it. Yes? When the scarcity goes to a manufacturer and certifies a product, I mean, is there a recurrent 
rechecking or is it once every six months or a year? And how do you know something doesn't happen in between that changes and makes it unmatched? Okay, that's a good question. Um, question was, I'll repeat it for people. How do, we, how do we know that they follow the rules? We walked in, I mentioned to you that we walked into a whiskey company and we saw that things were okay today. Well, how do we know what's going to be tomorrow? And the answer is that when we deal with, when we certify a small establishment, small, I mean like a local bakery, a pizza shop, a restaurant, those businesses change all the time. And we won't certify it unless there's someone in the store at all times who's responsible for kosher. That is, someone who we consider reputable, who's in charge of, he has to be there all the time. If the owner is not that kind of a person, let's say the owner doesn't keep kosher, but he he's not responsible, the owner will have keys to his own store. Only the person who's responsible, who's in charge of kosher, will have keys to that store. But that's when we talk about on a retail level, where there are customers sitting outside ordering wings, okay? And if you don't have any wings in the freezer, you're stuck as a customer who wants wings right now. So when you're stuck, you give the guy 20 bucks and say, go next door, buy me wings. I don't care if they're kosher, because I have a customer who's sitting here right now who wants to eat wings. I don't care if they're kosher or not, I have to serve my customer. Larger manufacturing doesn't work like that. Okay? Large manufacturers don't run outside and buy an extra bottle of oil. So when we come to a company, part of our assessment is, how often should we come here? We never just come once and don't show up again. Some, some companies, we, come, we have to come to once a year. My absolute favorite company. The CRC certifies a company that blasts rocks out of the ground, grinds the rocks up and sells it as some kind of a mineral. I don't know what the mineral is, and they want that mineral to be certified as kosher. So the rabbi comes there once a year because there ain't nothing doing this place. I mean, they're blasting. His, his main thing that he does is he hopes he comes on the day that they're actually blasting because that's the most fun. <laughs> no one wants to grind up the rocks. He wants to watch them actually blast it out of the, out of the ground. But we have other companies that we have... I'm not talking restaurants, I'm talking about manufacturing companies that someone goes to three times a week because there's so much going on. Most of them are in between, a couple of times a year. But the evaluation, we look at them and say, how likely are they to change what they're doing? How, what kind of a business do they run? How much contact do we have to have? Sometimes we come there all the time, sometimes we come there almost never. And sometimes it depends. We say, you could do everything you want to. When you want to make that product, you better call the rabbi before you do it. So that part of our evaluation is how often should we visit? And you should know, uh, it was mentioned before in what goes on about kosher certification in China. It had been mentioned before. Him. And one of the difficulties about certifying products in China is it's very difficult, it's very difficult to, to visit plants in China. It's not like here. Here I get on the interstate. I go to the plant I need to go to, and I'm back home. If I need to visit a plant in Miami, I don't visit it. I send one of the rabbis who lives in Miami to visit it. I don't, I don't go from Chicago to visit it. I have one of our representatives over there. Okay, well, guess what? There are about as many Jews in this room as there are in China. Okay? There are rabbis all over the place to go visit plants. And plants are not so easy to get to. And so it's very difficult to make those visits. And a lot of people who, in fact, do certify, slack it off. They won't do as many visits. It's so difficult to do those visits. It's so much more complicated than what's here around the corner. Here, I can, you know, I can visit. Those people who went to visit the liquor company that I mentioned that went on Monday, on the way back, pass another CRC certified company, and they stopped in there to see what was doing. They just dropped in, because they were passing by. They wanted to check up that things are the way they're supposed to be. Um, and that's a difficulty. In fact, the CRC basically doesn't certify products in China at all. We don't feel that we can do an effective job there. Um, so our board, 
even though many of the people in the office wanted to do it for our board said, we're not interested. The board said, it's a board, it's a board of rabbis. They said, just forget it. We don't need to do it. Let somebody else do it. We don't want to have that responsibility. We don't think we're going to do a good job. Um, but back to your original question, here in our, in, you know, in places where we can visit, part of our assessment is how often should we visit? Should we come here every day or every other day or once a month or once every three months? That's, uh, yes? Okay, so I'm going to, I should have said this when I started. Um, aside from mentioning that the letter K is, you know, could belong to anybody, and that the seriously is a great hashtag, I think of course we're great, and giving you my card, I'd rather not comment on specific Kershire. Um Just, that's something, I'll tell you, know, to answer your specific, I'll answer the question just because someone answered it. I'll ask you not to answer more like that, if I could say. Uh, if you call, no, really, you know, because it's silly, because if you call my office, they'll answer your question. If you call, seriously, call, you know, some back in, Hope the phone number's on here. Yeah, the phone number's on here. Or you email them, they'll answer your question about any hashtag. They really will. Um, and we don't, we don't find them to be up to our standards. We, in our interaction, we haven't found them to be up to the standards that we keep. And therefore, we only take them on specific products. So if you call up the office and say, you know what, I want to use sun-made raisins. That's what sticks in my mind. I want to use sun-made raisins to have a triangle cake. Is that okay? Sun-made prunes. I told you raisins don't need to serve cake. I want to use sun-made prunes. Hope you'll tell yes, you can use those. Um, so it's, it depends on the product. What we know more about, we can recommend or cannot recommend, depending on what it is. Um, but there are many have sharing like that who we don't feel are doing up to the same standards that we are. Um, so we don't feel comfortable recommending. How is it possible in some plants for some products to be kosher and others not? Thinking like craft foods, which are gigantic. Some of their products are, I believe, kosher. Mm-hmm. Uh, Macaroni and cheese is not. Mm-hmm. So what is involved in that process? Obviously, it has something to do with the method, but the ingredients, mm-hmm. but how is that determined where there are multiple lines operating in a... Okay, so the answer for that is the simplest companies are ones that are all kosher. Right? That's the simple setup. It's all kosher. N- nothing comes in that's not kosher. It's simple. In, in larger companies, first of all, for, the truth is that sometimes it may say craft on 10 packages, but they're not made in the same place. So you may see craft macaroni and cheese and craft cheese singles. Those are not necessarily made in the same place. But also, when a, a, actually one plate needs to make kosher and non-kosher, then there needs to be extra controls on that. There needs serious work on it. But he asked how often would we visit that place? You can imagine we're going to visit that plate much more often. I was just on the phone while coming here with a rabbi for a a plant that the CRC is going to be coming about with, they say in that plant, everything, everything is not kosher, except when the rabbi comes. That plant is not allowed to make kosher, except when the rabbi is there to actually oversee it. It's that complicated. But there's too much mixing of kosher and non-kosher. That plant is not allowed to make kosher unless there's a rabbi actually standing there while they make it. That's pretty strict. That's pretty serious. That's saying, hey, there's so much not kosher floating around here. But other companies, they do it all the time. What would that depend on? What could it depend on? Well, what does the company do to switch between one product and another? What does the company make? A company, a, a company that makes. Um, most companies have their own quality control to make sure there isn't a blending between one product and the other. And when we look at their protocols and say, "That's good enough." You're, you, you have a good protocol and you follow it. We actually see that you do, you do it, you take it seriously. 
then we say, okay, you could do both, because we know you won't mix and this and that. But other people are either sloppier, or we don't think they're going to follow the protocol, then do some, have to find some other control to make it work. You stated at the beginning that kosher really implies an element of holiness. And it's my understanding that also implies is a matter of relationship. That I understand that when I go to that product and I see the, the label, I can assume that what I'm getting is the real deal. Yes. Describe those cases where there's a breakdown with that and that doesn't happen. I understand, and I may be wrong in this, but I understand that there's a division in the state of New York, for example, in the Attorney General's office that deals with when the breakdowns come in, in, in fraud cases mm -hmm. that have occurred where people are told that something is, and then you find that it's not. Then the problem becomes for me as a consumer. I bought that product with the understanding of I assume what it is, it is. The same way as someone who goes to a health food store and buys something that says it's 100% vegan and it's not. So, what you know, what certitude can you have, or what, how do you as CRC work to make sure that that's the case, and then what happens when it's not? Okay. So what happens is that kosher certification has become pretty sophisticated as the years have moved on. And companies that uh, agree to become certified, they choose, I should say, they choose to become certified, um, contractually obligate themselves to follow the protocols that we set to them. When they don't follow those protocols, then basically, after the rabbis have a look at it and see, so to speak, how badly they messed up, um, it moves to lawyers. Okay? A lawyer will come in and say to them, you labeled something, as not co as kosher when it really wasn't, or let's say you have no relationship with us, you just start labeling it as kosher. Again, um, we take legal action to protect the integrity of us saying that that food is kosher. That that comes at all different levels, but we believe we reasonably we, we do a good enough job that when you see the kosher symbol, you could be confident that's really kosher. Mistakes do happen. They happen to the CRC. They happen to everybody else. Also, um, we try to respond. It depends on, really depends on how not kosher it is. If the person labeled it as CRC, but it was really kosher anyhow, that's what it turned out was kosher anyhow, we're not going to respond the same way as if you labeled it CRC and it really wasn't. Uh, it was really not kosher. But um, we try to take a strong stand in those cases in order so that people take us seriously. One element of the conversation last week that our guests spoke about, and we had a conservative rabbi representative from Chabad and a reform rabbi, they all spoke about, for them personally, the matter of ethics okay. and it being ethical and the solution of ethical kashrut. Could you speak about that for a minute? Sure, sure. Um, being ethical is obviously a part of Judaism. Everybody knows that. Um, lots and lots of parts of the Torah are full of ethical directions, of being honest and being forthright and a hundred different directions of how being ethical is part of being kosher, part of being Jewish, part of what the Torah requires of us. We, we don't consider that to be part of our kosher certification. Kosher certification covers whether the food is kosher um, and, and things that are related to the food being kosher. Um, if we were to know that somebody was not ethical, um, it's actually in our contract, that we can drop certification for a person if we find that the person is doing something crooked, underhanded, even if it doesn't affect the food's actual kosher, so to speak, kosher status. But the 
by and large, we're not looking over the shoulder to say, are you treating your employees nicely? That, that's not, we don't consider that to be part of our kosher certification. Um, again, if we knew that they weren't, um, one of the people who we certified was caught um, stealing electricity from his neighbors. He had run a wire from their building to his building. So he had, you know, he was saving loads of money because they were paying for his electricity. So we don't want to do business with that kind of person. So we say, did that, did that make the food not kosher? Well, it didn't make the food not kosher. But this is not someone who we can work with um, and do kosher, and we, would, we wouldn't certify them. But we don't make that a condition of our certification. We're not saying, is, let's check how much, do you really give everybody a lunch hour before we certify you? Um, it, 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 it's sort of out of our realm. Um, it's appropriate, it's correct. Um, if I ran a factory, I would want it to be run ethically, but that we don't consider that part of the kosher part. That's true. So, so you know, part of part of being a reputable certification, or reputable anything for that matter, is to be able to admit when you did something wrong. And when when we find that that somebody's labeling product with CRC and it's not kosher, then it's easier to not tell anybody about that and quietly get rid of it. Um, people who are more upstanding and who are trying to be honest will tell it to people. So that's the kind of words you see um, come out and say to them. Something went wrong. There was a mistake over here. So we, I don't know if you get it from the CRC. The CRC does send out those kind of alerts collected from other agencies. Uh, but each of the, again, the people who are more reputable, when they made a mistake, they made a mistake. You know, something went wrong. That's, uh... Yes? General range, general range for plants that we certify is in the range of between two and five thousand dollars a year. That's a general range of where it is. There are ones that are less. There are ones that are more, depending on you know where they're located, how often someone visits, how much office work we put into it, etc. Uh, but it runs in that kind of range. Um, and it's worth mentioning it only. It's mentioning. Sorry to answer your question. Is that when you think of it, um, for a larger corporation, that's not a significant amount of money. The way I explain to companies, when they, they, if I get asked this question every day, how much is it going to cost to become kosher? Um, when Ice Mountain wants to sell you product, they put ads on paper, and they design really beautiful labels, and they do all kinds of things to convince you that this is the best water, and you should buy their product. So I say, you know, there's a little OU on this package, and when I see that, that's how I know that I should buy the product. So, the color label attracts some people to buy the product, and the symbol over here attracts double cones to buy the product. So, $5,000 or $2,000 to attract a certain audience, it's a business decision. Do you think that it's worth it? Will that attract enough people to buy your product to make it worthwhile? Um, and in most cases, yes. In most cases, in the overall budget for a company, the amount of money that it costs to make this product, you can imagine it's probably not very complicated for the OU to certify this as kosher. Right? It's just water. Come on, how big get hard could it be? So how much do you think they have to pay them for that? And there are lots of people who only buy because they see a kosher salmon. Actually, if you look on our app, we'll tell you that it doesn't need certification. But there are lots of people who say, 
don't be so smart, Rabbi. When I see the symbol, that's what I want to buy. You know, I want to see this, so that makes me know that it's kosher. So, you know, uh, that's how we look at it. Uh, overall, we, we don't find that companies really consider that to be a big expense. For little mom-and-pop operations, yes, but for anybody of any meaningful size, that's not an uh, unreasonable expense for that. And, and as you said, it depends exactly on what you said. How close they are, how often we're going to visit, how much work goes into it. Um, you had mentioned before, and how do we know when we have mixed plans? Do you know that for every product that we certify, um, we have a formula for that product? We don't have a formula telling us how much percent. We don't know how much of this and how much of that, but every ingredient that's in there, they have to give to us, sits on our computer databases, uh, telling us what goes into that product. So we have all this work that goes into tracking all those products. If you have one product and we have 500 products, we do different amounts of work for that. So that, that has to do a little to what you said. Is how do we know which is the code from which is the not? Well, we have the formula. And we make sure that that formula is accurate to the, you know. You mentioned stopping at the jewel when you came over. Um, so that's the other side. We spent a lot of time talking about the design of the plants. What happens in terms of getting product to stores? And you said earlier that the, the whole process of certifying is more so for people who live in the outlying communities than people in, in the north side of Chicago, Rogers Park, and Skokie, and right. those areas. Um, what indeed goes into a store's determination to stock the product that they stock in, and whether how that can be influenced if we wanted to ask them to have more product available? Okay, um, and the answer is it completely depends on the community. It depends on what people ask for. Um, there's a reason why there are pumpkins in the store now, and there aren't pumpkins at other times of the year, because people want pumpkins now. Right? It's the end of October, they want pumpkins. They put pumpkins into the store. So if everyone um, just sits back and says, I wish that Jewel would carry more kosher products, then they're not going to carry more kosher products. If someone knocks on the door and says, hi, we represent the community, I'm here from the temple, I'm here from the federation, we're here to meet you, we want to talk to you, and we want to talk to you about carrying more kosher products, um, they're out to serve people. Um, I I'll tell you something. This is not really kosher related, but it ended up falling in our lap. Um, we just passed the holiday of Sukkot. And on Sukkot, we built a sukkah. And the rabbis in, in the community um, were trying to help people build their sukkahs. And what happened is we, we went into Home Depot to talk to them about providing materials that would be good for people to build their sukkahs. And the, it was really close, and they did a little bit to help out. But we said to them, you know, next year we're going to come back a month before Sukkot, that you can help the community. And they said, 100%. They said, we'll build a model Sukkot in front of our store, and we'll teach people how to do it, and we'll have our guys building panels, and we'll do all these things, because, well, guess what? They want to sell lumber. Right? So they want to sell it. So if we can help them sell to our community, they're thrilled to do it. So if somebody walks in and says, listen, you know, this is what, this is what people would want to make the food kosher, People in our community are having interest, and this is what would appeal to them. I, I don't know what it is. You have to say, hmm, what is it that people would want over here? Then you say, you know, you know, guys, you only carry two varieties of chicken. You're getting empire anyhow. Maybe we could work on getting six varieties. Maybe you can get us coca. Maybe you can get us salon. Whatever your thing is, you say, in our community, this is what would, people would buy. Um, they want to sell products. So it, it really is a matter of the community asking for it. You know, you judging what they want, and then ask them to bring it. But, uh, uh, I, I was in New Jersey a couple of months ago. New Jersey has quite a large Jewish community. And while walking through a supermarket that had 
a kosher section to it. It wasn't a kosher supermarket, but they had a kosher section. We met near the buyer. And he says, I'm in charge of buying kosher products for, I remember it was 31 stores in this chain. In other words, I make sure that they all have the right products in them. I'm the person who's supposed to know what makes what's good for people who want kosher. So those stores are sensitive. They have a, someone in charge just to sell kosher food. You know, now, I don't know if that's going to be in Munster, Indiana, but um, to the extent that you, that you want for it. You know, so. Jewel, you know, Jewel is, I'll say one more thing. The Jewel, there's a Jewel in Evanston, right near where I live. It's just past out of the border of Chicago. has a huge kosher section. I mean, I mean, really. It's a whole supermarket just for kosher. You know? There's a whole other supermarket besides that. But it's a nice, um, they have somebody who works for them. Um, his name is Jacob Yarno. He's He works for Jewel, not for the local Jewel. He works for the parent company, whatever the name of the parent company is, to help put kosher food in all their plants, in all their stores, in the stores that need it. So maybe you want to, instead of, in addition to the store, call up Jacob Yarno and say, hey, we have a community here. All we're getting is, is Kedem grape juice, matzah, and empire chickens. We want a better selection. And he's, he's the one who does it for my Jewel. Maybe you do for yours also, you know. Okay. Any more questions? Okay. Thank you very much. Rabbi Thomas, thank you so very much. Thank you for attending. And uh